everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Image Leadership Podcast. Uh, I hope everyone had a great holiday weekend, an extended weekend there. Uh, my name is Rick Gutterson. I'm really glad to be joining you today. Um, you know, I, I think about uh, some of the crazy things about the 4th of July and um, you know, I think about fireworks, but I, I also think about injuries. How many people have either gotten injured with with fireworks or doing something over the holiday weekend that is uh, maybe foolish is a, is an easy way to, to to state it. I know one year, uh, right around holiday, uh, right around the Fourth of July holiday. I was playing basketball with some people and um, ended up blowing out my knee and got pretty hurt pretty bad and and uh, didn't know it right away. So I, I thought I had just maybe it was tight and I was stretching it out uh, to try to loosen it up. And turns out I had torn some uh, a tendon in my knee. I had torn my meniscus and me stretching out probably made it way worse. And uh, at one point it had swelled up so big that you could see the swelling through my dress pants at work. And I was literally dragging my leg around, limping around like a crazy person for about a week and a half before finally going into the doctor and um, finding out that I had some some major damage in my left knee and had to get surgery and it was a pretty crazy thing. Uh, that was the first time I had actually gotten an MRI uh, before. And you know, for those of you who have had uh, an MRI, um, you're very aware of the claustrophobic nature of being in that tube uh, and the intense sound that it can make. Um, and, and also just having to, to sit perfectly still inside of this, uh, this tube. And so for someone who talks with their hands uh, a lot or is very hyperactive, um, Sitting still for 30 minutes can be incredibly daunting, um, especially when you're in a tube that is basically your size. And I remember just feeling so constrained and trying to focus so hard on not just blocking out the sound, but trying to fight the urge to be fidgety because they had talked about if you move around, how um, essentially it, it uh, you need to start over and it can create a lot of problems. So that was my first experience with an MRI. But in, in that case with the MRI, I was very aware of uh, the injury and I was very aware that they were probably going to find something uh, that needed to, to have um, some work done or, and potentially have surgery. But I, I uh, a few years later, in the, I went in for an MRI because I was having some, some back problems. And uh, I didn't know what was causing those back problems. I just knew that I was having some spasms in my back and some, some challenges regarding just um, feeling like it was always sore or tender or hurting. And I was having some difficulty sleeping because it would spasm in the middle of the night. So I went in to get another, uh, you know, opinion from the doctor, and they scheduled an MRI, and they took a look at it. And very casually, they had talked about that they didn't see anything um, certainly substantial, but they had saw in one of my vertebrae that uh, I, I don't remember exactly how they worded it, but it was very kind of a passive statement of, well, it does look like you know at one point in your past you you, you fractured a vertebrae, but it looks like it's healed up now, and it's just some some kind of um, evidence of that. And I was like, well, wait a second, what do you what do you mean? They said, well, didn't. Did you break your back or break a vertebrae at some point? And I, I was not aware that I had ever done that. And instantly I went back and went, wait, I hurt my back once really bad years and years ago. And I'm a little embarrassed to say what caused it. But hey, full disclosure, this is behind the image. So um, we had right out of high school, actually my senior year in high school, started a backyard wrestling league of all things. And we would just play, you know, wrestle for fun and for comedy. Um, but at one point, uh, our neighbor built this entire wrestling ring out of uh, wood and, and you know, plywood and two by fours. We had turnbuckles. We had character names. We had entrance music. And we even created this event called Outdoor Slam where we had friends come and watch us, uh, you know, at these wrestling matches and it was all scripted out and, and most of it was just all comedy but I remember 
um, getting flipped over the top ropes and my back hit the corner of the wood really hard and I heard this loud popping sound. I had a really hard time getting up and it hurt for a long time. And it was in the exact same area that this MRI had revealed that there was an old fracture in a vertebrae that had healed up. And I had no idea the extent of the damage that had happened in this stupid wrestling match. In fact, I, I tried to, to wrestle through it because the championship was on the line. It was really important, you know, for the 20 people who are watching. But now, 20 plus years later or whatever, uh, you know, I, my back has some problems. And it turns out that this wasn't necessarily a cause of the new flare-ups. I had just had hernia surgery. But because that weakened my core muscles, my back was taking on an extra load. And it was flaring up this old back injury. And so when the MRI revealed that there was an old injury in my back that I was unaware of, it really helped me understand some of the challenges that I was having and the cause that uh, the spasms, uh, you know, the cause of the spasms that I was having. Um, having. And so it, it was a fascinating discovery of awareness because I had no clue that that was a part of what I had experienced. And yet now it all of a sudden made sense as to why my back hurt so bad years prior. And this is a ridiculous story, and I, I, you're probably wondering, what is the tie-in, right? Um, but I've been thinking about the, the the need for an MRI. And I was really kind of convicted recently because in, in past, when it's teaching or sharing with other people, I've always used the analogy of looking in the mirror, right? Maybe it's an excuse to sing a Michael Jackson song. I, I don't know. Um, but the point of it is, is it always made sense to me to, to, to gain self-awareness. You need to look in a mirror. But recently, I've been thinking a lot about that metaphor and how it's not sufficient anymore because the mirror only looks at what's the outside. And when we're talking about the, the necessity of behind-the-image leadership, um, sometimes our image is is part of the problem, but it, it doesn't go far enough to look at the mirror in the mirror to see what's going on because we need to look at what's going on inside, right? I mean, the last two episodes, we've we've talked a lot about the need for emotional awareness and um, to, to examine our emotional state of being. And then also we talked about the idea of looking at our values, our, our beliefs, and, and some of the stories that have led to those. And all of that is very deep, meaningful work that'll help us grow as leaders, but it's all internal stuff. And, and we're not gonna be able to do that work if we're strictly looking at a mirror and looking on the outside. And so when I was reflecting on some of my past experiences with the MRI, all of a sudden it clicked. I, I really think that it's time for us to, to take a look and, and, and experience what, what we're going to call a leadership MRI. We've got to figure out what's going on the inside of us that's causing some of our external actions, some of our external behaviors, or, or some of our symptoms, right? And so I think this is really important. And, and what I want to do is, I mean, there's been so much amazing content shared by some of the guests recently. I mean, Matt Swartz did an amazing job just diving into some of the value of why we need to gain some emotional awareness and why emotional leadership can be really valuable. And, and Paul Antleitner uh, really dove into the, the philosophy and the theology behind some of the stories that shape our values and our beliefs and ultimately how those values and beliefs drives our, our actions. But... Um, Sometimes as leaders, we, we've we've got to grab a hold of something like a nugget and, and be able to plug it into what we're working on right now. And so I wanted to kind of just take a take a pause and, and to give you some practicality and how do we apply some of this amazing content that's been shared with us over the last few episodes and really plug it in no matter what level you're leading at, no matter what stage of life that you're in, whether you're a brand new leader, whether you've been leading for years, maybe you're thinking about leadership, you're thinking about starting a business, you're, you're kind of on an entrepreneurial effort. 
or, or maybe you're a student and you're exploring the idea of, of leadership in some capacity, but no matter where you're at on the spectrum, or, or, or maybe even you're in a situation like me where you've led and you've helped uh, you know, some organizational uh, success, and then you've taken a step back to kind of go through a life change where you're, you're exploring a new role, like maybe you're a full-time parent now or, and, and you're, you're leading at home, but um, it's really important to examine what's going on in the inside and to have some practicality to that. So um, I, I want to talk about how do we how do we gain that self awareness? I mean, there's a, a great uh, leadership author named Peter Drucker, and there's a, a book that of many books he's written, but one that I really found helpful because it was really small and quick to read, but about five important leadership questions. But inside of that, he he talks about um, how. Uh, and this is a quote from that book, the self-assessment is the first action required uh, of leadership. And he goes on to talk about in that chapter that your commitment to self-assessment is a commitment to developing yourself and your organization as a leader. And, and I just keep going back to the idea that if we don't take the time to look at se- ourselves and seeing what's going on with ourselves, how can we then be expected to take a look at what's going on inside of our organization, right? If we're afraid to take a look at ourselves, isn't that going to translate to our organizations? Isn't that going to translate to our team members, to the problems, the challenges, the, the bottlenecks that, that are occurring in our organizations or in our teams? And I think the same courage that we need to, to tackle the challenges in our teams and in our organizations is the, is the same very courage that we need to, to tackle what's going on in ourselves. Because, I mean, by the very definition of leadership, we're on the front lines. We're we're setting the tone. We're inspiring. We're we're setting the goals and the objectives for our team members, and they're going to be basically those those values and those goals and 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 the things that we strive for with our teams are going to be extension of who we are and what we do. And we've got to become aware or continue to maintain that awareness of what's going on inside of us in order to continue our effectiveness as leadership or as leaders and in our leadership. And if someone like like an author like Peter Drucker can state that and continuous books that are putting out talk about the value and the importance of self-awareness, there's got to be something to that. And so if maybe this is something that you're very comfortable with and you've done the work and you continue to put in the work. Um, this might be a quick, good, simple, simple refresher for you. But I also have spoken with a lot of leaders that this is not something that they've practiced because they either don't view themselves as leaders, they they may be more of an execution-minded manager, um, or or maybe this is just a, a, an area that they've never found enough value in to, to kind of slow down the task list and the objectives in order to really work on this. Maybe they're getting some results, and so they haven't seen this as important, but I I, I, this isn't just me saying this. I mean, the countless leaders who are leading at high levels talk about the importance of self-awareness. And so I think the importance of, of performing a leadership MRI and just going into there to look at what's going on inside of us is really important. We, we don't, just going back to the MRI metaphor, I mean, we don't get an MRI if we're feeling fine, right? We don't go in and Hey, uh, things are good, I, but I think I want to endure a 30-minute crazy uh, loud tube test where, where I have to sit perfectly still. That's, that's not the reason why. And so if you're listening to this episode and everything's going amazing, good for you. Bookmark this episode and keep it as a tool to come back to. Um, but chances are there's something going on and you're not quite sure what's causing it. And in the physical realm, getting an MRI, there's a symptom, right? There's a pain point. There's something that's not functioning correctly that's ultimately causing us to reach out and get help. But I think as leaders, there's the same kind of thing. And I, and I think you can kind of 
categorize those into two cat, you know, uh, classifications. Like we have our external symptoms. They're, they're symptoms that are involving other people or they're outside of us. Um, but then there's also the internal symptoms, the symptoms that are very much inside of us, the way that we are feeling, the way that we are thinking. And if those symptoms are starting to flare up and they're creating pain or stress or frustration, it might be time to hit the pause button and go, what is causing this? Because if I keep trying to power through it, like I did with my leg injury years ago, not only is it not going away, but it's often getting worse. I did more damage to my knee by not getting help. I did more damage to my knee by trying to power through it to stretch it out. And it turns out the problem was something that couldn't be stretched out to fix. In fact, by stretching it, I did more damage and it had a more of an impact on me that I still feel to this day, you know, 15 plus years later, right? So this is really, really important work. And I just want to, um, before we jump into the content of it, I just want to applaud you for making the time to do it because uh, this is, it's hard work, but it's really, really beneficial. And it's one of those things that's a, not a short-term checkbox that you can just kind of cross off your task list, but this is going to make you a more effective leader. It's going to make you a more effective manager. Um, it's going to make you a more effective um, employee, content creator, whatever role of life that you have. Um, I promise you that the work is worth it. And, and, and I, I, th- I go back to what my friend Matt Swartz shared a couple episodes ago when he was talking about the emotional awareness. He he listed out six benefits that he saw. And I just want to reiterate those because I thought they were really helpful in, in identifying those things. He talked about the, the, the increase in self-awareness, which we've touched on. Um, he talked about the, the ability to understand or, or connect with our vision and our goals um, in order to then properly motivate others with those goals. He mentioned that uh, we have the ability to focus more effectively, um, uh, specifically on project completions or even turning out the distractions, right? Especially if they're distractions that that tug on that stressed nerve that kind of flare up our own emotions. Uh, Emotional agility, uh, being able to kind of be flexible in in all situations is huge. Uh, Increase in self-worth and in capabilities uh, and then being able to instill that confidence in others. And finally, he talked about safety and stability. And that's such a vital trait of a leader that can be then passed on to those we are leading. Because if people don't feel safe or secure or stable, they're not as likely to perform well. They're not going to be as trusting. They're not going to be able to feel safe enough to be creative and express thoughts and ideas or feedback. And so our emotional health or lack of really does have an impact on others. But I I was really thinking about that episode because maybe you're a bottom line person or maybe uh, you're listening and you're like, look, I I get it. Some of those people need that stuff, but I'm not an emotional person. I want to get the job done. I want to drive the results. So I wanted to kind of jump into a couple of potential outcomes that I think are really, really valuable that are absolutely connected to your bottom line. Because you might not see the connection between me being emotionally healthy and me making more money or me driving more sales or whatever, right? So let me just take you on a little little bit of a ride here because um, I, I think there's a huge connection, but there's a couple steps in between, right? So if we focus on our emotional health, if we focus on our emotional well-being and become more emotionally aware and more emotionally in tune with not just our needs, but the needs of our team members, the first thing it's going to do is it's going to create a healthier organizational culture. People are going to feel that and they're going to respond to that. That's going to help people feel more likely to trust the management's vision, trusting in you as a leader, trusting in other team members because they feel that safety and stability we talked about. 
This is going to improve people's communication. You're going to get better staff retention. You're going to get better volunteer retention. I mean, how much time and money gets wasted when we continually are turning over staff, right? And so by retaining staff, because they feel good by being there, because you create a warm, safe, fun, you know, trusting environment, they're going to want to remain there. As a result, you're going to get better effort from your team. You're going to get maximum effort from people. You're not getting wasted energy by constantly training new people. That's um, going to get more creativity. They're going to share better thoughts and better ideas. If someone doesn't feel safe, they're not going to give you their best thoughts and their best ideas, or they're not going to have the, the environment they need to open up about those things. This is going to increase their productivity, and then ultimately that's going to begin to increase a and create a healthier bottom line from a revenue standpoint, a, sa a sales standpoint, um, a fundraising standpoint in the nonprofit sector. If you're talking about like a ministry standpoint, it's going to lead to better um, better retention regarding membership, um, which could lead to better financial health regarding tithing or donations or things like that. I mean, these are the ways that you get there. But if we only focus on the bottom line and we don't focus on the steps and the behaviors that drive those results, we can really do a lot of damage as leaders. And I see this time and time again with leaders that are so driven to succeed, but they don't know what it takes to get there and they burn bridges with their team members as a result. So this is why that self-awareness is so impossible because you're contagious whether you're aware or not. The problem is that sometimes we're contagious in all the wrong ways. People are picking up on your controlling nature, your attitude, your anger, your being critical, um, driving things at all results without allowing people to just take a chance to breathe and they're getting burnt out and they're overworked, right? So these are all really, really important reasons to do this work. And, and I think about too, like when, when my friend Paul was, was talking about his hierarchy of values and how um, you've got these two triangles, right? He talked about the, the behaviors and practices that we have are ultimately a result of the goals that we have or what we're aiming towards. And then those goals are kind of reflective of the values that we have. And those values are created by our, our story, our guiding story, or the, the beliefs that we have. And ultimately, there's an author of that story. He talked about from a spiritual perspective, God or gods, um, something that's in that spot. But we also talked about kind of some of the negative tapes that we run through our mind. Like it could be something traumatic or something that was really difficult to process that is the author of this negativity that might be running through our brains. Um, and so I think if we become aware of that, he talked about flipping up the triangle over and starting from the top down to see if there's maybe a disconnect between our, our idealized values and our actual values. Because this is very common. I mean, it's very common to, to have a disconnect between what I say I value and what my actions are really revealing. And so even by doing this work we're talking about now, we can actually gain some awareness going, I didn't realize how much of a disconnect when, when I say that I value growth, but then my actions say I value control. And that control is driving my team members crazy because they don't get the chance that they need to flourish. And I'm not delegating them. I'm not trusting them. Even though I think I'm trusting them, my actions are showing that I, I'm not placing the trust that they need to thrive. And ultimately, they're leaving and looking for better opportunities. And I'm getting that turnover constantly, and it's driving me crazy. So by doing this work and just seeing if there's a disconnect between those ideal values and the actual values can be really, really vital, right? So I, I, th I thought about three things about why do I need to put in the work specifically regarding your values, right? Because we talked a lot about that in that last episode. The first thing is this, that your values shape the values of your team. What you value as a leader is going to shape the values of each of your team members, whether you want it to or not. 
So if you are intentional about living out a value, let's say your value is a really positive one. It's lead with love. That was an example of, of one that we implemented at my organization. Um, our number one core value, and we said, if we do nothing else but leading with love, you're going to get it right 80% of the time. And so it helped shape the behaviors of every team member who would struggle maybe with what to say with a, uh, a person on the phone or how to handle a situation. And anytime they would ask me, how do I do this or what do I do? The question was always, what does it look like to lead with love in that situation? And so that started with my ability to maintain that, right? So if I'm not leading with love, then I can't expect my team members to lead with love and to them to then impart that into their team members, whether it's a volunteer or clients that we're serving, right? So it means that as a leader, I've got to put in the work to do whatever my heart needs in order to show up with the capacity to love other people. If I walk in burnt out or stressed, I'm not gonna be able to invest love into my team and then that's gonna have a trickle down effect on them, right? So your values shape the values of your team because if I say I lead with love, but my actions reveal that I, I value busyness, that's gonna create a big problem because let's look at that from a practical standpoint. My team members aren't gonna trust me with, with asking me questions or they're gonna think that I'm so busy that I don't have time for them. I talked to an individual about this before. They, they didn't feel that they could approach, um, the team members didn't feel like they could approach their boss because of the fact that they were always so busy. And so then they started to take that on themselves. And it was a really, um, really powerful eye-opening experience for that leader to go, wow, I had no idea that that's what my team members felt. And yet they felt safe enough to open up to them about that because we were doing a lot of culture work. And it was really powerful to know that by changing that culture, they could really create more of a sense of openness, right? So that's the first one. Your values shape the values of your teams. The second one is that your values establish the goals that you set for your team, right? So going back to the example of leading with love, if I my focus is on leading with love, then I'm going to create outcomes or goals that drive what what is the result of loving people well, right? So so in our organization, this is a very unique example because it was grief support, right? I was less focused on how many people came to our program and I was more focused on how did our program change the lives of the people that came? And it sounds like a very similar question or very similar statement, but they're totally different. One is an output, the number of people that come. One is an outcome. What is the change or the transformation that occurred in somebody's life as a result of attending this program, right? Um, and so if my focus is on leading with love, then I'm going to structure the program, structure the procedures and the policies around loving these people and seeing that to fruition. So here's the, the, the goals uh, that we set as a result. We wanted to have 70% of the people who completed or who attended our program complete it. We felt like based on being a grief support organization, attending something for eight weeks in a row is really daunting. We felt that that was a really good bar. And so then we started to reverse engineer our actions. What do we need to do to help 70% of the people complete this program? We talked about our follow-up calls. We did a lot of training with our facilitators to make sure that they were, were connecting with their team members, not just in group, but outside of group, to follow up with the clients, to send them little encouraging notes, to call them specifically after week one of attending this program to make sure that, uh, they, that they were heard and seen and to encourage them to come back. And it was very much structured in a way to invest love into these people, right? Uh, and, and you could see now the behaviors and the actions and the goals are, are being driven by those values, right? If I just said, I want to increase the total number of people who attend the program, I'm going to shift my energy from investing in people's lives to 
pouring more energy into marketing, pouring more energy into uh, creating more space for new people because I want as many people to come as possible and keeping them or having them come to the finish the program is now taking a back seat, right? So you can see how what I value totally changes the goals that I'm setting. And then the third one is gonna be the values that drive the behaviors and practices of your team, right? Your values drive the behaviors and practices of your team. So <clears throat> now you're talking about specifically into policies and procedures and things that you value. You're going to spend more time structuring those practices. So one of the practices that we put into play was we wanted every single person to feel welcomed at the door. And so we want, we started investing more time and energy into training hospitality and greeters. We started dedicating more people to, uh, to, to just connecting with people when they would first come to the program to help them feel loved. We, because when you lose somebody, um, there's, there's a void in your life of love, right? That grief is a response to love. And so when we lose someone that we love, we hurt. And so by it's not going to make them come back. It's not going to take away the person's grief. But we knew that if you invest love into people, it's going to help them feel something that's going to want them to come back and to, to come back through this program. And so if we tr create procedures and policies and trainings around how do we love people well at every level of our organization, it's really going to make a big difference. And so now we're taking a value and instead of just being a plaque on the wall, we're doing a deep dive into why that value uh, matters and how can it spread into every level of our organization. But I think in, in this case, love is obviously a, a very emotional um, value. And so you can see the necessity of, I could say that lead with love is our top value, but if I'm burnt out or if I'm critical, if I'm judgmental, if I'm gossiping and I'm doing things that are counterintuitive or counterproductive to what lead with love means, um, then I'm going to be turning people away and people aren't going to feel that value. It's going to just be an empty action and there's going to be a huge disconnect between our actual values and the ideal values. And so as a leader, it's my job, it's your job to set the tone and to set values that are valuable to you and that you can live up to. And they're always going to feel too lofty. Um, but if you can if you can live them out and do the work to do that, and then also in this case, is there something that's preventing you from living that out, right? So if I'm going back to this MRI situation and I say that my number one value is lead to, leading with love, and you can insert any value here, but this is just the example that we're using, but but I'm not leading with love. I'm being critical. I'm being um, you know judgmental. I'm being angry with people. Then this is when we need to do the MRI and go, what is broken or what's injured is there, or is there an illness that might be preventing me from leading with love, right? And you you go into that tube, you turn on that that loud sound, you get claustrophobic for about 30 minutes, and and you just figure out what's what is really going on, right? And you see what 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 comes up. And that's such an important thing because you might come up like, wow, I'm I'm hurting or I'm exhausted or I'm frustrated or something going on, right? This is really important because you get what you create and what you allow. This is a, a, one of my favorite leadership quotes regarding culture, and it's from a book. I don't know if I've referenced on this podcast before in the past, but I'll probably reference it again in the future. Henry Cloud wrote an amazing book called Boundaries for Leaders. It talks about, you as leaders, you get two things, what you create and what you allow. And if I'm intentionally creating the culture of an organization, I'm scripting out our values, I'm scripting out the behaviors, and those are coming from the work I'm doing, that's amazing. But if I allow 
inactivity and toxicity to take place, it's not their fault. It's mine. And it's because I'm not putting in the work. There's a disconnect between my ideal values and my actual values. And so if I ignore the work, it might be fine in the short term, but long term, it always catches up with you. And so our our inactivity or our lack of intentionality regarding values uh, has just as much of an impact on you and your team and your organization as if you're really intentional about doing this work. You just aren't aware of it. But your team members probably are. They're going, I don't like my job. I don't feel safe here. I don't feel like anyone really uh, gets me. I don't feel like I trust my leaders. I don't feel like they have my best interests in mind. I don't think they see me. And those are the, the staff members, the volunteers that are looking for other opportunities. I see this so many times. Bosses don't put in this work and they let the good team members leave because they don't deal with the conflict that the good team members are frustrated with. And there's just this revolving team, uh, a revolving door. The good people leave and the bad people stay. And it ruins the culture of organizations. And they don't understand why all of a sudden their profits are down, why their sales are going bad. is because they're catering to all the wrong people. They're afraid to put in the work to challenge the, the actions or behaviors of the people who are underperforming or who are toxic to the culture. And as a result, the good people get frustrated and they look for new opportunities or they start their own businesses. And we lose them as leaders because we're afraid to put in the work or we don't see the value of doing it. So I just want to challenge you. Take this seriously. Is it time for a leadership MRI? Is it time to hit the pause button and you go get checked out? So here's, here's the big question, right? The how-to. How do we perform in a leadership MRI? And this could be a whole series, right? So this is going to be a simple approach, but I want to give you three practical things that you can do in order to perform a leadership MRI. And you're, you might need help with that, and we're going to talk about that in a second because uh, this is something that if you've never done the work or if you've never put in the practice, this might be a, such a foreign concept with you. But I want you to see how valuable it is because this is going to change in a positive way you as a leader and ultimately your team or your organization or those that you serve with. So the first thing is this, right? If we understand the role of an MRI, um, the MRI looks beneath the surface for like an injury or an illness or in our case, it might be an insecurity, You know, it might be an injury, an illness, or an insecurity. And these are kind of metaphors, but in the case of an insecurity, it's a very real thing, right? And so we're looking to gain the self-awareness to see if our actions are are being driven by an insecurity or if they're driven by an injury, an emotional injury. Maybe it's a hurt or a wound or maybe an illness, something that's just not okay and we've been living with it for a long time. So the first thing is this. We're looking for symptoms. What are the situations or what are the behaviors that are signs that something might be wrong, right? We talked about this earlier. There's external or there's internal symptoms, but this is the reason why we get the MRI in the first place. What are the things that you're experiencing that are leading to these challenges that are causing you to reach out for help? So these are this isn't a comprehensive list by any means, but when it comes to external um, symptoms, you know maybe you, you have incredibly high turnover. You're losing the good team members. You're retaining the bad ones. Uh, maybe your sales are decreasing or your revenue is dropping. Maybe you're not getting the same kind of funding from a nonprofit or ministry standpoint that you used to. Maybe your team is just less focused or less energized. Maybe they're less productive. You're having to like invest more and more time and energy into your team and it's just not getting the results that you want and you just feel like you're having to micromanage every single action and they're still not performing. Uh, or maybe it's just a tense environment where everyone just feels like they're constantly on edge or there's 
Um, there's increased conflict between team members, especially if it's unresolved and there's just lots of tension. Those are some basic examples of external uh, symptoms that are real issues that can create a lot of devastation within your team or your organization. Uh, but let's look at some internal symptoms because these are very common as well. I mean, you're talking about what if I'm as a leader more short-tempered? Oh, I'm, maybe I'm normally a pretty patient person or I extend a lot more grace to my team, but just recently I'm really short-tempered. Maybe I'm more controlling than normal. I just can't let people do their job. I need to hyper uh, control them or I'm afraid to let my team uh, uh, run with something because I don't know if I can trust them. Uh, maybe I'm more conflict avoidant than I normally am or I'm, I'm more procrastinating than I typically have in the past. I'm avoiding deadlines. I'm avoiding hard work. I don't want to put in the strategic planning efforts because it's just going to be so exhausting and daunting and I'm just kind of punting it to next year. Maybe I'm just more indecisive than normal or maybe... I've always been indecisive, but it's creating dysfunction in my in my team. Maybe it's just a lack of passion. Maybe you used to love your job. I used to love my job. I loved my team. I loved the mission. I loved the vision. And, and now it's just like a grind just to get out of bed and get dressed to go to work. And you're wondering, where did my passion go? I used to love this work, and now I don't. Now I dread even going in. And did any of these resonate with you? Are these are these sound are these these um, symptoms something that you can really relate with? This is some of the signs that maybe an MRI is needed, and this is what drives you to the doctor, right? This is what drives you to go get the help. So if you're feeling some of these, let's go to the next step. This is what we're going to call the diagnosis, right? What is the MRI revealing? What is underneath the surface, right? So my MRI revealed that I had a past fractured vertebrae that um, had healed, but as a result, I had some weakness in the middle of my back that then was being exaggerated by when I had the two hernia surgeries and I had a weakened core. Now my back is taking on extra um, stress or pressure that my, my core abdomen muscles used to take on, but my back wasn't strong enough to take those on solely, and so it was actually flaring up those back spasms. And so now that we've done the MRI, we see what's causing some of those issues, right? So there's a, a ton of, of things that we could diagnose, right? Um, but we're going to focus in on a, a couple of core ones, right? They, you know, we, we talked about what are some of the thoughts or the feelings that are ultimately maybe the source of some of those, those symptoms. We're going to call this the condition. We're summarizing kind of the thoughts or the feelings as, as a condition. The first one that came to my mind was just anger. And as simple as that sounds, anger can be such a destructive and toxic emotion inside of um, an organization. And we have to figure out what the cause of that anger is. And, and sometimes anger manifests itself in a lot of different ways. I mean, we, it, we usually think of anger in, a terms of, in terms of big explosive rage, right? Someone punching a hole through the drywall, um, somebody kicking the, the trash can, uh, throwing something. Um, if you're in that situation, those symptoms are very severe and, and, and ob very obvious that there's something wrong. But, but sometimes the anger is very underneath the surface. We're more critical or judgmental of people. We're passive aggressive we we kind of take these jabs at people in emails we use those a little ellipses as ways to like communicate a point right i know that you know what i'm talking about you've probably done that as well you send the email and you put a little ellipsis like you're hoping that they feel a little jab without you saying something um it could be um passive aggressive behavior regarding like i used to take on responsibilities but now i don't um and i've kind of withdrawn but never told anybody why because inside i'm i'm angry or i'm resentful 
Um, and also anger has a lot of other forms. I mean, envy and jealousy is also a very big form of anger. So, so maybe you're a, a manager with an organization and you have a, a, a team of people that you lead, but you're not ultimately the one in charge. And maybe you got passed over for a promotion and you're just pissed and you're jealous because the person that you got it, that they got that promotion, you didn't feel like they deserved it. Or maybe they were an outsider uh, and, and had never worked within your organization and they just they might have their degree, they might have these out external credentials, but they just don't know your business. And, and they're there and you're just jealous and you're angry because not only did you get that position, but who are they, right? And so there's there's jealousy, there's resentment, and all of that stuff really wounds our ability to, to serve and to lead well. But there's a few other diagnoses. So the first one we talked about is anger. The second one, and these are three bundled categories. There's a lot of subcategories here, but the second one is anxiety or fear. Um, some kind of fear or anxiety that's causing our symptoms, right? So maybe that's the fear of failure, right? I'm so driven to, to avoid the pain of failure at all costs that either I'm um, pushing myself to the limit, I'm not taking days off, I'm hitting the deadlines, and I'm pushing my team member to the brink of exhaustion as a result. Or maybe it's the opposite of, I don't take risks anymore. I don't take chances. I'm afraid to make a mistake, so I don't make a decision at all. I avoid the decision. I procrastinate. And it's so interesting that burnout that's driven by like overachieving is, is ultimately very often driven by the same challenges that procrastination or indecisiveness is driven by, which is the fear of a failure or often the fear of rejection, right? I mean, we, we value so deeply what people think about us that if there's conflict in our team, we don't wanna be seen as the bad guy or we don't wanna make a choice that's gonna upset somebody. Even we know, even though maybe we see there's a clear right and a clear wrong, but we don't wanna hurt them or we don't wanna be seen as somebody who uh, hurts someone's feelings. And so we don't make a choice or we don't deal with that situation and we just let it happen. And then the good person who's performing well on our team leaves because they're upset. And we hang into the person who's creating the conflict because we never dealt with it. Remember, you get what you create and you get what you allow. So that's often very driven by, by anxiety or fear or even the, the fear of the unknown. Oh my gosh, if you're talking about from a leadership standpoint, you know, sales are declining and, and there's this uncertain future looming. And so you're so paralyzed um, with that fear of the unknown that you don't take decisive actions or you're so afraid of what a board might think that you don't take the risk, even though you know that that risk is going to pay off and it's going to revitalize your organization, but you don't know how people will receive that and you ignore your gut. You ignore the data because you're afraid of what might happen and you don't know what's going to happen and you can't control it. So you, are, you take inaction. You do nothing and things get worse and you don't understand why things are happening. That's usually driven by anxiety or by fear. The third one is, we'll call it apathy. Um, you know, maybe you're, you're burnt out, you're depressed. There's just this, this lack of passion to your work. You show up and you go through the motions because maybe you're going to retire in a year. You're like, oh, is it worth it? Do I want to put it in the grind? Maybe you're doubting yourself because you've had some, some challenges and you're just wondering, Am I, do I even have what it takes anymore? I don't know. Maybe I'll just ride it out and retire and let someone else deal with the problem. Maybe you're just stuck. You don't see the value of your energy anymore and you're just exhausted and you just become apathetic and you're just punching the clock and taking a paycheck. But your team members are feeding off of that lack of energy and they're becoming apathetic or they're still hungry, but they can't get that driven or uh, nature uh, from what you're doing. They can't get the excitement or passion from what you're, they're doing with you anymore. So they look elsewhere and you get that high turnover. These are super overly simplistic 
diagnosis is, but I think that so many of the challenges that we experience as leaders or our teams experience as leaders can often fall into one of these three categories. But this is just, for sake of time, just a few of them. Anger, anxiety, and apathy. Here's the thing that we have to, to kind of look at. The third part of the MRI is this. The first one was, we, we talked about the first one was symptoms. The second one is the diagnosis. The third is the cause. Where did this come from? What are the values or beliefs that might be the root cause of this condition? And, and the condition meaning our, our emotions or our thoughts. Uh, and where did, where did that come from, right? So, so what we're talking about, these are just a couple of hypothetical scenarios, right? I mean, when we're talking about anger, you know, where did, where did that um, anger come from? You know, maybe there's a thought of like, I don't want to continue managing my team. You know, I shouldn't have to babysit them. We're all adults. They know their job. They know their responsibilities. I shouldn't have to tell them how to do that. I shouldn't have to step in and resolve this conflict, right? Um, you know, or if, if I'm someone who's um, really anxious about these decisions and I'm full of fear and, and I don't want to fail, I'm trying to figure out like, where did that fear of failure come from? Did I experience failure in the past that was really painful that now is driving my actions years later? Or maybe I experienced deep levels of rejection or the pain, something painful happened that was unknown and it caught me off guard and it was outside of my control. And now I'm deeply afraid of having something like that happen again. You know, there's a cause typically behind all of these things that we've got to discover. We got to figure out where it happened. You know, in my case, it was something silly, like a ridiculous wrestling match that caused the the, the crack in my vertebrae. Um, maybe yours happened to wrestling match too. Probably not. I don't know if there's a, a any you know it's any kind of correlation between uh, backyard wrestling and leadership. Probably not. But in this case, we have to be willing to do the work. We have to be willing to dive in. Is there something that is behind your anger? Usually, anger is caused by three things: frustration, fear, and hurt. And, and especially with that hurt, we, we then put up a wall to protect that vulnerability and we lash out in anger. It's the reason why um, you know, a wounded animal is so, so aggressive and so um, violent often is because they're protecting our hurt. Or uh, a, a, an animal who's backed into a corner is often so aggressive because they're afraid and they have nowhere to go and so they lash out in anger to protect themselves. That's the same thing that we do as leaders. So we talked about that could be the cause of your anger. The anxiety could be you know, something from the past that's really driving this fear that you're experiencing or this anxiety that you're experiencing. But we have to identify that so we don't keep repeating that same mistake because if we ignore it, it doesn't just go away. It just waits for us to address it. And the next time a new situation comes up, it not only brings the pain of that new situation, but all the old junk that we, we've never dealt with, right? And that happens all the time when it comes to the fear of failure, the fear of rejection, and the fear of the unknown. And then the third one, the apathy. Maybe, maybe it's caused by you did something in the past and it didn't work. And so why should I put in the work again? Or maybe you're, you're ultimately not the one in charge of the team and the organization. You're leading, but you're not the leader. And upper management is making decisions that are just making you so upset and ultimately helping making you feel like your actions don't matter. And so why try? But then that is snowballing their leadership into even more. And now your team is giving up on you just the way that you gave up on your upper management. I want to tell you that there is hope. Your activity, your actions as a leader can make a big difference. We don't always see it, but I promise you it does happen. We just have to reverse the cycle because if you're stuck and you're feeling some type of symptom right now, it's hard to see the positive of putting in the work.
but it's there. It's there and it can change people's lives. It can change companies. It can turn teams around. Even if you're just leading a small team, you can turn things around just by doing this work and going, why am I so apathetic towards my work right now? And if I can discover that and reignite my passion for work, maybe it's not a passion for the product that you sell, but it's passion for just being there and it's a passion for meeting people or maybe it's a passion for creativity or drivenness and getting results. Rediscovering that is gonna be huge, but there's something blocking it. We gotta find what that is. But if you put in the work, I promise you this is going to help and you are going to turn around your team. You are going to transform your organization because it starts with you. It's This becomes contagious. If you put in the work, your team is going to put in the work. They will see the change in you and they will respond. And going back to like, what are, what's the value of this, right? I mean, let's just go over that list again. You're going to create a healthier culture. Team members are going to trust you more. They're going to feel more open and they're going to communicate more. They're going to, to want to stay. You're going to keep the good team members. And eventually you'll learn how to to weed out the bad team members who are negatively impacting the culture, who are making you more apathetic or making you more angry. You'll learn how to conflict, uh, you know, you'll learn conflict resolution. You'll learn to step up and, and kind of take action to weed those people out so that you retain your good team members and you waste less energy rehiring and retraining constantly and you can actually move forward on your strategic plan and grow your organization. You're going to get maximum effort from your team members. You're going to get better creativity. You're going to get better risk taking, which is going to innovate. It's going to create. You're going to ultimately have better productivity and a healthier bottom line with revenue, sales, funding, anything. But it starts with your choice as a leader to put in the work. this is a new concept to you, um, I want you to know that you don't have to do it alone. I mean, I would love to hear from you if this is something that you would uh, you know, like to talk about more. You can send me an email. Uh, my email address is info at rickgutterson.com. And, and Rick Gutterson, uh, my last name is G-U-T-T-E-R-S-O-H-N. You can email info at rickgutterson.com. You can uh, contact me on social media. I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter. I want to hear from you because um, this is something that we can apply to all of our lives. And and I, I want you to have all the tools that you need to succeed. What are the symptoms? What's the diagnosis? What's the cause? And this process will get you started, and we can talk more about that in depth if you want to reach out and connect. But I hope that this information was really helpful and practical and helps you see why doing the emotional work can directly tie into your bottom line in your organization and and improve your production, improve your productivity, your efficiency, your effectiveness, and ultimately make you a better leader and a more effective leader. So thank you so much for, for joining me today. Again, if you haven't subscribed yet, subscribe to this podcast. We're on Spotify now, which is super amazing. We're on iTunes, uh, Google Podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, all the different platforms. You can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, at Rick Gutterson. Send me an email. Um, it's info at rickgutterson.com. You can visit my website, which is also my name, rickgutterson.com. Um, we're working on a new updated uh, website right now. So the old one is still up. It doesn't have some of the features I'm looking forward to, but you can still reach out to me there as well. I want to hear your story. I want to hear from you. I would love to hear, uh, maybe you've done this work in the past and it's been really helpful and beneficial for you, or, or maybe you're struck, you're stuck and struggling and you need some help with this. I would love to be able to help you because I want you to know that you're not alone. And so I'm, um, really thankful to, to partner with you in this because people have made the time to do this work for me, uh, with me, I should say, and, and I want to make time to, to help you out as well. So thank you so much for listening to this episode and we'll see you next time. 